Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Out to Be podcast. I am guest. I am guest. <laughs> no, I'm not. <laughs> oh my you're just, god! You're so used to having me on your podcast that you're just thinking now you're the guest. And yeah, I'm, the <laughs> I'm. I'm the guest today of the podcast with Brie Noble. <laughs> I'm so excited. I just am tripping over my words. Brie Noble's back, you guys. It wasn't a surprise. We kind of told you it was going to happen. And today, we're talking about how to pivot from in-person coaching or teaching to online successfully. You know, a lot has happened in the last year. And whether you teach or coach or do anything in person, whether you were maybe a musician who was even gigging in person you had to shut it down and the uncertainty was strong. And I think that while we feel pretty confident now and most things are back up and running, no one ever wants to be in a position again where the bulk of their income gets stripped from them or they have to make dramatic adjustments because of external circumstances, whether it's a pandemic or something else, like a family emergency or necessity that has to happen. Um, So I think that this is a really important topic Again, just so that you and your business are prepared, but also because online gives you so much freedom and has a lot of pros and cons uh, to it, which we're going to talk about today. So I think this is going to be a really juicy episode. Yeah, I'm excited about this because I have a little bit of background with this subject as well. Um, so we'll talk about that a little bit later. But yeah, I'm just excited to to really open up eyes for people that maybe have been you know, teaching locally, haven't gone online yet. They've been thinking, you know, maybe I should do that, but I don't know what, you know, what that's going to involve and everything. So get excited. Yeah. And I think that if you are listening and you're like, eh, maybe I'll turn this off because I don't teach in person or I don't coach in person right now. And I'm thinking of starting a business online, but I don't even do it in person. So is this for me? Still listen, because we're still going to talk about the pros and cons of each. We're going to talk about how to pivot, which is also very similar to how to start online um, if you're starting and you don't have a business yet. So it's going to be relevant even if you don't necessarily teach in person right now, um, but it's going to be especially relevant if you do and you're wondering some of those intricacies of like, is it worth going online? How do I transition? How do I navigate the workload and, and everything like that? So we'll go into that in this episode. Yeah. So first thing is like talking about the pros of of in-person and I think why so many people do it. I think it's easier to grow in person than it is to grow online because there's only so much you can do in person. Most people are doing one-on-one. Of course, group is an option for coaching or teaching. And you can grow pretty easily with referrals because you've got an area that you are in or that your studio is in that you're serving and people in that area can just use word of mouth to tell their friends about you and then get you new clients. And I feel like that's a big way a lot of people grow in person, which can make it really appealing, uh, but can also be kind of limiting in some ways. Yeah, I mean, you know, locations have limits. Like there can only be so many people living in a certain area, right? So there are, and I know our mutual friend, Tiffany, she's told me like, yeah, there are voice teachers in my area, but there, you know, there's only a few, there's not that many. So it was not hard for her to fully book out her studio because there just weren't a lot. And she's like, I live in an area, you know, pretty, like, I think she said 40 to 50,000 people, you know, so not huge, not like living in Chicago or something, Mm -hmm. but, um, not a tiny town either. And there still wasn't that much competition for her. 
Yeah, yeah. And I have a client on the flip side who is, she's actually in Greenwich, Connecticut, um, but it's very close to New York. And previously she had actually served some areas in Westchester, which if you're not familiar, this is basically just the suburbs north of New York City. Um, it's not New York City, but let me tell you, it's a very, very saturated area. <laughs> like this is not small town Wisconsin, for instance, where, where Tiffany is. Like, you know, this is like the suburbs of New York. It's popping over here. So she has been having to like turn people away. Like, you know, she's teaching kids after school. She teaches piano and voice and she is literally maxed out because even though there are so many voice teachers in this area, there are also so many people in this area. Mm -hmm. And because of the power of referrals and, and word of mouth, which has been amazing for her, she's hit a cap because like there's only, you know, these many hours after school that she can teach people. There's only so many students she can take. And so where do you go from there? So it's great. Like we said, in-person is great because you have that flexibility. You can stay in person. You have the in-person connection with people. You can grow with referrals and with word of mouth. And to be completely honest, I think you can successfully grow in person without having on any online social media presence. <laughs> um, like I have clients who have done that. So that's a pro because you don't really have to worry about social media um, necessarily. But the con would be that you can kind of get capped out there. Yeah. I mean, you can get to the point where the only way you could raise your income is either by bringing someone else on, which maybe you don't want to manage other people, right? Um, or raising your rates, which maybe you're not sure that your area can support that. Yeah. Or, you know, working more hours, which you don't want to do, especially yep. if, you know, you've got kids or you've got other interests or you have other jobs or whatever, you know, we don't want to burn ourselves out. Yeah. Yeah. And it's tough. Like sometimes as entrepreneurs, you have to make the decision of like what you're willing to do. And for a lot of people who are working with kids, especially if you're working with kids, you're working outside of the school hours. So you're limited to working from like three to 8 or 9 p.m. if you're going to stretch it that late. And then maybe you're willing to work the weekends. But if that's the case too, then you're having to make the tough decision. Like, do I not have any days off basically because I want to fit more people in? Or do I, you know, only work these hours or do I have to sacrifice going out on in weeknights or even on weekends because I want to work and I want to take on more for the sake of scaling and bringing in more money? Or do I want to consider a different route that maybe isn't so restrictive? Yeah, I mean, that was something that came to mind when I was kind of making that decision myself of should I do local or online? And at that point, I had elementary school kids. I think mm -hmm. I had a junior higher and an, and an elementary schooler. And I didn't want to spend the only time that I would have with my kids with someone else's kids, yeah. you know? And I, unless I was just gonna teach adults, which I'm not sure I could have supported a studio of just adults in my small town of 10,000 people, Yeah. Um, then I would have had to work those hours and I was not willing to do that. Yeah, it's true. So you do run into the issue of being capped out. And even price-wise, like I know my client, we've raised her price, her prices are, are not low. <laughs> I honestly don't know. Yeah, I do think that there is a certain point where you get a little bit capped out. It depends on your experience and your expertise. Like obviously some people, they have a million degrees or, or just are super, super established. They can charge more. But 
when you are providing a service, you want to make sure that you're not overcharging in a, in a sense that just completely puts you at a in a different place than the rest of the market in your area. Because again, when you're teaching locally, everyone's comparing it to your area. So if everyone in your area is charging 50 bucks an hour and you're charging 300 bucks an hour, you don't, maybe it'll end up working out because you'll get less clients, but you'll still make the same amount of money. But it doesn't necessarily mean that you'll have the same amount of clients for that higher price if your market specifically is the kind that'll just be like, I'm not paying this, I'm gonna go to the norm. You know what I mean? Yeah, and I've heard of some people being pressured by other teachers in their area because either they wanted to raise their prices and they didn't want other people undercutting them or Mm -hmm. the opposite, they felt that it was not okay to raise prices because they thought it wasn't serving the people in their area. And they were like basically pressuring people saying, you know, it's not cool to raise your prices. And so there's kind of that like in-person pressure, I think amongst the teachers in your local area to kind of like stay at some average price range, which is going to limit you. Definitely. Yeah. If that's the case, you obviously might have a successful in-person business, but if you might also be desiring to like scale <laughs> and we'll talk about some of the the pros and opportunities for scaling. Brie kind of mentioned that one opportunity for scaling in person would be like hiring people out underneath you, like brand building out basically a full in-person studio where you have people working for you or uh, doing group stuff in person. All are great. Uh, but you might be thinking about going online just so that you have more flexibility so that your business can survive if there are shutdowns or you can't work in person or you move and you don't want to be starting from complete scratch and in, in a new place where you move to. So there's a lot of reasons why online makes sense. And obviously we are a little bit biased <laughs> to be pro online. Uh, so we're going to talk about that today. Yeah. And I did want to bring up too, we didn't mention like the cost. I know we're talking about the cost of being online, but the cost of being offline is that if you don't have a location that you can have lessons, like if you don't have a home, maybe you live in an apartment and you don't feel comfortable having people come to your, you have to rent a studio, right? You have to rent from someone else. Or if you can't do that, or you maybe haven't gone out on your own, you're working for someone else. You're working for, you know, the local music store and they're paying you like peanuts to serve their people because yet you are using, you know, their customers and their location and all that, but you're getting like, I don't know I've heard like $15 an hour, you know, ridiculous prices because you're working for them and not for yourself because you might not have the infrastructure at, you know, around your area to actually start your own studio. One of my clients doesn't have a studio. She drives to Mm. everyone's house and that's another expense. (laughs) Yeah. So she can add a premium because she's coming to them, which is good because she can charge more, but it does cost her obviously a little bit of gas money. You know, she's not driving ridiculously far, but a little bit of gas money and a little bit of time. Like, could, if she had a studio, she would potentially be able to fit more students in because she could just go back to back to back and she's not traveling in between. But, you know, the cost of having a studio might out outprice her. Like, she'd probably end up making less because she'd be paying so much for rent anyway. So that's not the case for everyone because it depends the area that you're in and the price of rent and the price that you're charging and all of that stuff. But it would be course, so exhausting, but... I would think, to go back. You know, I wouldn't like it, actually, because I don't like 
dealing with traffic and you know if it was around here there's traffic everywhere yeah (laughs) we're like an hour out of LA but still like you drive across town there's plenty of traffic especially during those hours after school yeah yeah it's busy so just essentially there's more um definitely more overhead definitely more things to think about that keep you small in some ways um so that being said if you are pivoting or starting from scratch online and deciding to start up an online business and start to coach or to teach online, it is interesting because you might have a really successful in-person business, but if you have no online presence, you're, you are starting from scratch. Maybe it's one above scratch, but it's basically scratch. It's it's almost like starting a whole nother business. I mean, obviously you've got your your way of teaching and everything, but like, it is almost like a whole nother thing. Yeah. I was going to say those exact words, (laughs) but it's true though. Like you're basically starting a whole nother business. And of course, eventually like it'll all be one, whether if you decide to go all online, that'll be your business. Or even if you decide to just stay hybrid and you do part online and part in person, you'll still have just one business and and whatnot, but it really does feel like at first you're starting a whole business because you have to build up an entire online presence in order to make it online. So why would someone want to go online if they're starting from scratch? And that being that it of course takes effort and some time to build up an online presence. Well, it's because there's a lot of pros to being online. I mean, that's why Brie, of course, did it at the end of the day when she had the choice. Uh, tell us about that, Brie. Where were you at when you were at that crossroads and what made you choose online? So at that point, I was living in that 10,000 person town up in the mountains. So I really, if I was going to do something local, it was going to be in that town because everything else was like an hour away. So, but yet at that point, I had a lot of people asking me, you know, because I was known in the town for being a recording artist, for performing and stuff. And a lot of people were asking me if I could teach them, if I could teach them voice, if I could teach their children voice, if I taught piano, like all kinds of things. And so I started to think I, that I could go that direction. My second daughter had just entered pre-K And so she was going to school and she was gone actually all day. They had pre-K all the way until like three o'clock. She got back on the bus. So I, she was gone from eight to three and that had been a while since that had happened. And so at that point I was like, what am I going to do? Am I going to go back and work in corporate? Am I going to, you know, teach because people are asking me, or am I going to do something else? And at that point I had already had my women of substance brand for, I think seven years, six, at least six years at that point. So I had learned a lot about building up things online. I had built an audience around that, but that was just around my online radio station and, you know, becoming a podcast at that point. And so at first I didn't really see how I could turn that into a business. You know, that was not going to be something that was going to support me. It made some money, but it was never going to be like my main thing. So I was like, okay, am I going to go back to corporate? And I did go do some interviews and I got, (laughs) I I got to a second interview on one of them. And I was like, I hope I don't get this job. (laughs) Like, I just realized I did not want to go back to that lifestyle. Yeah. Cause I didn't want to work all day, every day in a little office, uh, crunching numbers. Cause I'm an accountant. So then I was like, okay, the voice studio thing. And I remember actually telling one of my friends, I think I'm going to do this. 
because I had a downstairs room. It had a separate door, all that stuff. It would have been perfect. But I started thinking about that. What I said earlier about the hours and how I didn't want to be working when my kids were home because, you know, I was wasting all that time. They weren't home when I could have been teaching, but most of the people that were asking me had teenagers. Mm. And so they couldn't have, they couldn't have done anything till later. Um, and then I was also just thinking about, I don't know, just the grind of it. You know, I wanted to, I wanted to make a bigger impact instead of like one-on-one and there's absolutely nothing wrong with one-on-one and you can do one-on-one online as well. But I was like, I wanted to, you know, help a lot of people at once. And the only way to do that, especially being in the tiny town I was in was to go online. And so I think that was the ultimate thing. I was, I'm very much of a community builder and I wanted to like connect people and, you know, I value relationships and all of that. And so that, I think that was the thing that pushed me over the edge and the fact that I had been learning online marketing because of the radio station and now podcast, I had been learning how to leverage social media. And, and I had been building, building an email list now for the radio station, not for any other services yet, but I knew the nuts and bolts of it. And I'm like, if I've done this for this, there's no reason I can't do it for something else. Yeah, that totally makes sense. Do you feel like there is a difference though? Or, or what would you say to someone who's listening right now and is maybe thinking, okay, but you already had some thing built up online. I have nothing. Or maybe I have like a personal Instagram or I've tried to post on Instagram before, but I really don't have a foundation. Is that going to make a difference in my success versus your success? I mean, honestly, a little bit because I, you know, I did have an email list that I had built And I also had, you know, contacts as a musician, I had built that up as well. So for those of you that are musicians, if you've been building an email list and you've been building social media as a musician, you can absolutely leverage those for when you decide to offer, you know, online coaching or teaching or a course or whatever you decide to do. So you already have a head start, and many people listening probably have some kind of online presence, even if it is you know, quote, just for your music. Cause I know some of our students right now and out to launch, you know, they've had a, they have a specific, um, audience just for their music and they're wanting to, to leverage that and, and talk to them about this new thing that they're doing. And you can totally pivot that. So some of you already have a head start. You may not realize it though. You might think, oh, you have to keep it totally separate and you don't. Yeah. Because if I hadn't have leveraged the connections I had as a musician, And then the list I had built up as the radio station where I was talking to female artists, it would have been, it would have been harder, but like, yet I did, I'd only built that up as a brand, not as myself. So I was building as women of substance, right? Some people knew me. Um, but at that point I wasn't a podcaster. So they, they didn't, a lot of them might not have known the name behind the brand. Right. It was just women of substance and our review board. You know, it wasn't about me, not until we did the podcast and I was the host that people really knew who I was. So in some ways I had a head start and in some ways I still had some work to do to make a transition from that brand to them knowing who I am. 
That makes a lot of sense. Now, something you also alluded to was the idea of time freedom, which people talk about a lot. And I think a lot of online entrepreneurs will talk about it in this really glamorous way of like, I travel every day of the year and I basically don't work and I'm just like on the beach all the time. Don't you want this time freedom? Sign up for my course. But the truth is that like, I mean, listen, I'm a little biased. Did I just get back from a month in Paris? Yes. Did Brie just get back <laughs> from a month I in know. Maine? I'm like, this yes. is the perfect time for us to talk about this because we're like picking up the pieces after being gone for three or four weeks, both of us. I know. And I will say this too. I'll just add this in here. It is so much harder than people make it look. Like those people that truly are like, don't you want this? My life is just completely nomadic and I just work while I travel. No, you don't. When you are traveling, you want to also be like enjoying your traveling. And it is so hard to sometimes balance a business and the guilt that you might feel about working when you're traveling. That's a whole nother story. It still <laughs> does provide a lot of time freedom though. And we had the opportunity to do these things, of course, because of our businesses, despite the fact that it might not be as easy as some people portray it. But I also think that a lot of the, the time uh, and space freedom, it's so much simpler than that. Like you were saying, it's literally just being able to work when your kids are at school and be with your kids when you're home. You know what I mean? <laughs> like, and it doesn't have to be all this complicated stuff of like, oh, you have to desire to travel the world your whole life in order to make online worth it for you. Like sometimes it's just because you wanna go get your hair done on a Wednesday or you wanna be home with your kids or you wanna, for me, when I worked corporate, I would have migraines every single day towards the last few months because I was just sitting in a chair, staring at a computer, hating what I was doing for eight hours. And now I can get on a call, go outside, do some work, Go outside, take a break, get a drink, eat lunch. Like, I don't have to be stuck at a desk all day and I can make my hours what, like, I might work even longer days, but I'll have much more spread out things so that I have the ability to rest and take care of my body and my mind while I'm doing it. And for me, that is priceless. Like, that is so worth it, even though it might not be glamorously traveling all the time. Yeah, no, I totally agree. And yeah, with the traveling, it's, it's not as easy as some people try to make it out to now, like you said, it's possible. And I would not trade being able to do that, but it was still hard yeah. and it's much easier to operate now that I'm home. Yeah. You know? but, <laughs> but I mean, I can handle inconvenience for a few weeks in order to be able to do it completely. And, and that's what is possible with having this ability to be online. I mean, if you're, and you, if you have a local business, you just, if you want to travel, you just lose that income. Yep. Exactly. Right? We don't have to just completely forego income in order to now. And I want to say as well, of course, sometimes we, we want to, and should just take vacations, which mm -hmm. can be harder as an entrepreneur too, to completely shut off. <laughs> but sometimes you want to do a little bit more like, you want to go on vacation, yes, but you also just want to have a change of scenery or go for a longer trip or even go for a week-long trip somewhere and be able to take off part of the time, but also be able to keep up with the money-making activities so you're not losing out on any income whatsoever, even though you also get to travel. Yeah, that was basically my trip that I was just on. Like, I knew I was going to work, and I did have a few days that I took off, but most of the days I did work, but I could change my schedule around. And I did have a total vacation in July. I almost worked at all for like two weeks. 
And that's also possible, you know, and, and I wasn't losing any income then either. Cause I just reorganized things. So, or I, or I got someone to fill in or whatever. So that's, what's great about online. You can kind of set things up. So you have a more recurring kind of income. Yeah. Um, and not have to worry about, you know, missing days. You just kind of reorganize stuff. Yeah. And a lot of people, again, will use the phrase money freedom, right? Like time freedom, money freedom. And with money freedom, it's like the ability to make more money or to have that recurring income and not be stuck to like this hour I get paid for this service. And if an in-person student calls out sick or cancels or doesn't want to come or I'm sick or I'm on vacation, then no money is made. Um, of course, there are ways in your studio to combat that a little bit, <laughs> but like if you um, really want more and you want to make more, that's where I think online shines because you can scale so much better. You can do more passive products, more group products. And even if you are doing one-on-one, you are able to serve so many more people that you can attract more clients and you can raise your prices because you're not just competing against your local market, but you're in the broader, literally world market. Um, so if you're skilled, you you can charge more and you can offer more by being online. Yeah, I mean, I'm going to meet with my student from Australia later today. And it's like, I would never get to do business with her otherwise. It's, yeah. It's so awesome when you start working with people from all over the world and just expanding your own perspective. You know, sometimes we get in such a, this bubble of where we are, even just in the U S I mean, obviously even just in our state versus some other state, but like, then, you know, getting to experience like what it's like for them and understanding what it's like for them in other countries, and then being able to serve more people because we're getting that perspective. I, I just think it's really enriching all around. Yeah, I totally agree. And we talked about this a little bit, but it also, you know, being online, you don't have any rent or huge overheads, you know, maybe you have to pay for Zoom or Kajabi or any of those other platforms. But generally speaking, the overhead, especially when you're just getting started, and especially if you're doing one on one, it can it can literally be zero, <laughs> like no exaggeration. It could potentially be zero to get started. Probably you will have some expenses, but compared to in person, it might end up being very low, which is good because then you can profit more. Yeah. So many services now, I think way more than even when I started six years ago, offer some free version where you can get started, you know, when you just have a very small volume of what you're doing and not have to invest at all. I mean, there's free zoom, there's free, you know, you can run things in Facebook groups or you you know, there's just so many things you even teachable has a free plan. You know, there's so many things that you can, I think even like convert kit and like email services, things like that have free plans for people who are just getting started and then you can grow into it, which obviously is not, you can't like go up to someone who has a building you want to lease and say like, Hey, I only have one student. Can I just pay you this little bit amount? You know, no, you have to pay the full amount. Yeah. (laughs) That would be nice though. Wouldn't it? I'm going to be here for one hour. Can I just pay like, that's it. (laughs) I'm like, no. Um, So yeah, I mean, obviously we think there's a lot of pros for both. And I, I do think that when you are considering online, it allows you for more of this time, money, freedom, the ability to operate things 
with people across the country, no matter what's going on in person and not have to you be canceled or rearrange or go virtual when you weren't supposed to be virtual, but instead you can fit your programs to being virtual in the first place uh, and not risk getting shut down in any capacity. But basically the hardest thing is, is getting started and it's just getting out there and creating that audience in person. And when you're pivoting, Let's actually talk about the act of pivoting because <laughs> I know a lot of people might feel like they have to go all in or they have to super slowly trickle in. Going off what you were saying earlier about how you really don't have to pay a lot to these companies when you're getting started, it makes it a lot easier to kind of ease in and try things out and get started and make that pivot happen without having to put a ton of capital into things and you know, or like quit your job and put all this money down into starting this new business online. You really don't have to do that because of the way the online landscape is. Like you can do it part-time uh, getting started. You could do it as like a more of a side hustle thing getting started and you don't have to put too much money into it getting started either. Um, of course, we recommend investing in a program to teach you how to do it right, but like you really don't have to pay for all of these things to start there, which makes it a lot easier to just go. Yeah. I mean, I don't know of any other business that you can invest in that is, you know, that easy to get in really. Yeah, I yeah. mean, other than maybe teaching privately at, from your home, right. That's yeah. not going to cost you anything, but you know, any other business starting a restaurant, you know, anything that you can think of, even like, you know, my mom used to be a decorative painter and just the cost of like the liability insurance alone, you know, and working comp and all of that stuff. If she had people working with her, like it's not cheap to start a business. So yeah, yeah. online is really just the easiest barrier to, to entry that I could think of right now. And you, we don't really suggest that you just jump all in with, you know, two yeah. feet and two hands. Like it's, it takes a while to build up that audience. Like I was talking about earlier, I even had somewhat of an audience but I didn't jump in immediately and start trying to sell to them because they didn't know me in that way. They didn't trust me in that way. Like yeah. they knew me around that one brand, but not around helping and teaching musicians, business and marketing. So I had to do a transition as well. And that's why I started the female entrepreneur musician podcast. I started getting seen on a lot of other podcasts. I started doing social media content around what I wanted to be teaching. And slowly, you know, they started to see me in that way and not just the person behind women of substance. And so you need to give yourself that time to make that pivot and then tr that transition, whether you're a musician and people know you online as a musician, and now you want them to see you as an authority in this new area, Yeah. or you don't have any, you know, you have no following online at all, you're starting from scratch. It's almost the same thing. It's a little bit better if you have something already that you need to transition, but it's, it takes time. Yeah. Yeah. And that being said, I think a good place to start with the pivot is like how to do it. I know when I was starting my business, I was definitely asking other entrepreneurs, like, did you go all in? Did you just quit your job or quit what you were doing and go full force? Uh, did you do both? equally like you know at 100% effort uh and what I ended up doing was quitting my full-time job 
Of course, the the type A in me mapped out every penny I was going to get. Okay, I'm going to quit on this date so I make this much money and I get this back from, uh, you know, vacation days unused and all this stuff. Uh, Like I had it mapped out to the penny and I had planned to join this accelerator program that was for starting a business so that I could get some insight into the online business world even more, start to make connections, start to make community. And so I had it all planned out and I actually quit my job before I got got a part time job, but I knew I was going to apply and I knew I was going to get I just held the faith, I guess, that I was going to get a part time uh, job so that I could still bring in money and not be working full time, also be working partially remote. So I had more uh, freedom and less commuting as well, Um, but so that I had more time to work on my business while making sure that my income didn't go down to zero. And I do think that was really important because getting out of my full-time job environment obviously gave me the time to focus on my business, but it also gave me like the energy and the peace of mind too. And sort of like a, a release of knowing that I wasn't like, again, feeling sick every day and sitting at a desk every day and just feeling miserable, wishing I could work on my business. But instead, I was able to open myself up and create more freedom. And yeah, I was still working part-time for a while, but um, it really wasn't even that long. It was probably six months max that I was working part-time. And then I ended up going full-time in my business when I was ready and when I replaced that income and felt confident enough, okay, I've replaced this income multiple times a month and (laughs) and I'm good now. Um, But yeah, so that's how I did it. And I feel like, you know, if you're already teaching in person, Maybe it means you you offboard a couple clients if you need more time back in your day. Like if you just feel super burnt out that you can't take anything else on. Maybe it does mean sacrificing a few clients just to get some more time and space so that you can start online. But generally speaking, you should be able to keep your job or keep a part-time job while you build something up so that you don't have to go from like, literally nothing to putting pressure on making your online business work immediately. Yeah. You definitely don't want to have to survive under that pressure because you won't make good decisions. You know, you'll be hasty. Um, and I, I was lucky enough not to have that pressure because of the fact that I had been a stay at home mom. Like I had been a musician and I had been bringing in money and then I had my second daughter. And so eventually I, gave that up because we moved to a tiny town and I wasn't going to be touring anymore. And so I was a stay at home mom for several years. So then when my daughter went back to kindergarten, um, there wasn't that pressure of like, Oh, we've been relying on this income and now we don't have it. Um, it was like, cool. What can I do to help now? You know, how can I bring in money for the family that we didn't have before? And I'm glad you mentioned about how you invested in that accelerator from the beginning, because I think that's an important thing to mention, because when I first started looking into going online, although I had been promoting the radio station, this was a different thing, right? I needed to become known as an expert in this area, and I wasn't at all known. And so I started going down a million rabbit holes online about how to do this. And actually, the fact that I had from eight to three every day was a problem. Like I would go down all of these rabbit holes, trying to figure stuff out. It felt <laughs> like I was going in circles, but I had all this time. So I'm like, well, I should just be investing time trying to figure this out. Yeah. And finally, when I decided to start my podcast, that was when I was like, okay, I'm, 
like expanding my business here in a new direction, I need guidance. I need guidance on how I can use this podcast to lead to leverage, to get clients. And that's when I joined a program that would help me do that with looking toward, okay, I want to use this podcast to get people into my, you know, thing that I'm going to launch in say six months. Mm -hmm. And that's when I started making progress and stopped going down all of these rabbit holes. Cause there really is a ton of information out there, yeah. but there's so many ways that you can do it, that you can actually be fragmented in a million directions and, and not do anything. Totally. And I think we'll talk about the importance of investing more <laughs> in this episode and over the next several months because it is so important it just helps you get things done faster you know like you have to put that initial investment in but you usually make that investment back and start making more money in your business so much quicker um but that being said though i i kind of want to take a moment to talk to the people who might be in the camp of like they got laid off from you know during the covid period or they um just aren't making money right now like they were gigging and gigs aren't really happening or they're just having like a lot of trouble getting back into making money maybe they're completely freelance or as i said maybe they they weren't able to keep their job during this time and or they had to quit to help their kids at home school because their kids mm -hmm. were suddenly at home for a year and a half exactly exactly so i know that there are a, a good number of people out there who have had this experience where like it's not actually about quitting your full-time job or supplementing your, your household. It's like, it is a necessity and it is desperation. And you're thinking, well, I know you just said you don't want to be operating from that place of stress and desperation, but I have no choice. I have no choice. Like I, I, this is where I'm at right now. It's okay. If that's you <laughs> like, um, and, and it doesn't mean, um, that things are going to be extra hard or anything. I think it's just about giving yourself grace and knowing that, you probably have much more determination than other people to get it done, which is fantastic. And I'd also encourage those people to not be afraid to invest in themselves either because it can be really stressful and lonely when you are trying to do it all and you and you have a lot on the line um, and you want to make that money fast. And I know it sounds counterintuitive to give advice that's like invest even when you're stretched, but I, I think that for me, like I've been stretched many times in my career as I've been getting it started. And sometimes it really does take like investing in this specific knowledge to actually figure out what I need to figure out to get to that next level. Yeah, I, I totally agree. And I've, I've been the same way. Like I've had ups and downs and I've always invested because I knew that that was what was going to get me to the next level. And it's hard to do. It's hard to do when when things are, are, are pressured. I mean, there was a point in my experience a few years ago when we thought my husband lost his job, like for several weeks, he had no job, <laughs> you know, and that was maybe not the time for me to be doubling down on stuff, but I knew that that was what was going to make the difference for us. He didn't end up losing his job. We had to move, but, um, that was setting me up for the biggest year I had ever in 2020. So, yeah, you know, sometimes when you're like, it's on the line and it's all you, um, and you, you double down, that's when you can make the biggest jumps. 
Yeah, exactly. And because I know there's a lot of artists out there too, where they were, they're, they are artists and they're still doing the artist thing, which is not bringing enough income. And they know that like they can't live that way and they need to have something else. And so of course, teaching or coaching alongside being an artist is a great thing to do because you still are able to maintain the freedom, the schedule, um, stay in your niche, like all of those juicy things. And even if it feels stressful right now, you can do it. Like maybe don't do it alone if you're trying to do it all alone, but you can do it. There's so much potential online. And so if you feel discouraged right now or you've been trying to make it online and it hasn't happened yet, it's okay. It does sometimes take time to do it, but you can do it and the potential is there for you. So when it comes to pivoting, I think the first step as we've kind of established is really creating your online presence and transitioning, uh, you know, as you build up an audience, but the, the building of the audience and creating an online presence is the biggest thing because when you're online, you can't sell to no one. You have to sell to someone. <laughs> so, um, and actually it might be worth even just going through the checklist that we kind of outlined, which is creating an online presence, getting clear on your audience. Cause of course you want to know who you're actually calling in and who your ideal client is getting clear on your offer and then launching your offer and putting it out there. Those four things are crucial because I think a lot of people make the mistake of starting with their personal Instagram profile or starting with their artist profile and then like kind of messily or casually or, or really without that confidence start to talk about what they're doing but they're not really sure who they're trying to serve or what they're doing or what their offer is. So they show up and they talk about it, but it, it doesn't come across as strong and it doesn't compel people to take action and join or reach out because the message isn't clear and the audience maybe isn't even their ideal audience. So we want to avoid that. Yeah, that's why we cover that in our first video of our video series that I know we'll mention a little bit later, but um, because when you go online, number one, you have the ability to get more granular. Like you can be very specific in calling out the person that you want to serve and how you want to serve them. So your, your ICA, as we call it, and your niche, um, because you do have a, a huge expanse of people to talk to, right? So when you're in your hometown, you can't be like, I only want to serve teenagers that are interested in musical theater. Because if you live in a 10,000 person town, there's probably not enough people yeah. in that niche, right? But if you are doing this online, you can, you can be that specific and know that you'll have plenty of people that are going to fit that profile that you can then call out with the way you do your marketing and you'll be able to serve those exact people in the way that you want. Yeah. Yeah. And that is really the key. Again, Sometimes some of this stuff, it seems simple or when you hear it, you might be like, duh, but in <laughs> practice, it's not always the case. And I speak from experience, you guys, like as a business owner, there's been so many times where I need to rethink or gain clarity and make sure I'm really clear and confident about what I'm saying and the direction I'm going, because if I'm not, it's going to come across that I'm not <laughs> and, and people aren't going to want to invest in you or support you or share your content if they're not clear on how you serve them and what you do and how it fits into their lives. So, you know, yes, creating the online presence is big, but knowing who you want in that online presence, AKA who your ideal client is, is crucial. And then of course, building that up with free content. And then when you're ready to 
launch, you need to have a clear offer with that because you, you want to promote something that you are super clear and confident about and that you know your audience wants. Yeah. I mean, you do have to really make sure that when you're messaging to your perfect customers, they know that you're talking to them. Cause I kind of made this mistake a little bit in the beginning. I called my podcast, the female entrepreneur musician, right? Because that's what I saw myself. That's what I wanted to help other people be, mm. but they weren't there yet. Yeah. <laughs> like it took a bit for me to be like, Hey guys, you are entrepreneurs. If you're a musician, you're an entrepreneur. Um, now people are saying that all the time. And I would like to think that I was part of that education, but back in 2015, people weren't necessarily identifying as that. Mm -hmm. So that was a little bit of a mistake that I made. I should have talked to my audience first and, and found out like, how do you describe yourself? Do you even think of yourself as a business owner? Like I was talking to them as their future self and therefore they didn't feel like that. I was, you know, calling them out yet. So it's always good to just really get in with your audience and talk to them and ask them a lot of questions and find out how they do see themselves and what they are struggling with and what are their desires for their future. And you can talk about those too. If their desires are to feel like a true boss business owner, yeah. I can talk about that, but I'm not going to, shouldn't be using that to call them out at first because they don't see themselves that way. Yeah. And we talk about this in our video series, which you can go to katiezucardi.com slash video series to get. It's totally free. And of course, we, we talk about this in Out to Launch a ton because like the market research, the the defining your audience, that portion of the, the program is so important to make sure that you have a really strong foundation and knowing like who your audience is and what they want and then how you're going to talk about it and what you're going to put in your free content and all that stuff. Um, because when you're online, again, online's great. The barrier to entry is low. Anyone can do it. You can hop on, create an Instagram account today or, or go on your current Instagram account and just start talking about this stuff today. But if you're not saying the right thing, if you're not saying, and I don't say that in a perfectionist type of way, but like if you're not saying the things that your audience needs to hear or that really speaks to them, then you're not going to be impacting people. It's not going to get through to people and they're going to scroll past you. And so when you're online and your mode of communication is these platforms, whether it's social media and people scroll or emails that people can just delete if they don't find the subject line enticing, you need to make sure that your language, your communication, your copy is spot on, which of course, like we said, comes from clarity on these things. Otherwise it's not gonna resonate and it's gonna be that much harder to grow because if nobody's engaging and nobody's reading, nobody's gonna recommend, nobody's gonna share, nobody's gonna like or comment, and then you're kind of stuck. Yeah. That's why we do a whole video on that in the video series, because it is like that next level kind of marketing that a lot of people aren't doing. And especially those that are used to being in person where you're just, you've used to just being known as the person in your area or known through referral. And, you know, you need to be able to communicate with people in a way where they're like, oh my gosh, I feel like she's talking directly to me because then when you do go to make your offer, it's not going to feel like this huge transition or this huge leap. You know, they're already going to be coming to you going, Hey, like, I think I'd like to work with you. Like I totally resonate with your stuff yeah. instead of you feeling like now I need to like pull them along. You know, they're going to be already right up next to you, ready to go. 
Yeah, and I'm actually glad you said that too because we obviously went through the four steps, but timing-wise, I do think a mistake a lot of people will make too is just coming right out of the gate like, all right, I guess I'm going to start coaching or teaching online. So let me just open Instagram and make a post and say, hey guys, I'm I'm coaching and teaching online now. Message Here me. I am. Here yep. I am. And, <laughs> and like, there's nothing wrong with that. Like, it, it's good. It, you know, that is a good initiative. It is amazing if you've done that or you've thought about doing that. It's amazing to put yourself out there. But it things tend to be more effective when you take time to warm your audience up to what's coming. Um, because again, like, and I found this to be the case, I'll use the example of TikTok algorithm. Like I was posting a bunch of music content and then I started posting some Paris content when I was in Paris and literally TikTok was like, I'm confused. This isn't your niche. And my views completely tanked. Like I'm talking, I was getting like 200 less average views. You know, my normal videos don't get that many views, but I was getting dramatically less views because the algorithm itself was like, wait a second, this isn't right. Like something's weird here. We need to adjust. Like, and has someone hijacked her account. Somebody stole her account information. Yeah. Why yeah. is she in Paris now? <laughs> but, um, you know, obviously Instagram algorithm works a little bit differently, but, but it really is a, a, an important lesson because even if it's not the algorithm necessarily, your audience might feel the same way where it's like, they're used to a certain you and a certain content and seeing certain things. And if something pops out that's out of the norm, they're gonna be like, uh, oh, scroll, or this isn't for me, or it's literally not gonna get delivered to them. They're just not gonna see it at all. And then you're screwed because you're here thinking, okay, I made my announcement post. Now just, I'll wait for everyone to trickle in. And that's really not how it works because not only do people potentially not read it or see it, but they're, even if they did, they're not warmed up to take action. They have no understanding or basis as to why you are qualified to do what you do or why they should take action when they've previously followed you for something completely different. Yeah, that's why we have the pre-launch period. And, and I mean, really, when you are completely going from scratch online or you're pivoting from being a musician to being someone who offers other things, there does need to be that pivot period. And a lot of our students right now are going through that yeah. during uh, the program. And, you know, we're guiding them on that because you can't, like she said, you can't just like flip a switch and suddenly you're somebody else and doing a totally different thing. Yeah. It's, it's going to confuse people. So, you know, you need to, to do it in a way where people are like, okay, I still recognize her. I see that she's doing something new and cool. That's awesome. But it's still the one that I recognize. Yep. Totally. I keep thinking of the friends scene where, where Ross is just like, pivot, pivot. <laughs> because it literally is that like, I know that it's hard to hear that you need to take a deep breath and you need to take some time to not sell but to to pivot and to warm up but it is so crucial like i can't even express how crucial it is to to take that time because then it makes the selling so much easier and i think we could almost leave it at that because that's something we talk about in depth in our video series so to to learn more about that and exactly how to execute on that and why it makes a difference go to katiezacardi.com slash video series and hear all about it. <laughs> Watch yeah. And video. I just want to mention like the payoff of that is like what our video series is 
about is how you can sell your new program online without being salesy. Like the payoff of doing all of this work to warm up your audience and speak to them a way that's going to make them raise their hand and say, oh my gosh, you're talking to me, all of that stuff. And the way that we message that is all going to lead to being able to sell in a way that feels totally authentic to you. Uh, and, and if you're not used to selling online, it's going to be a totally different experience to, for you. And so you're not, you know, in order to, to make that feel like a seamless transition, you do need to do all this other stuff first. Yeah. Yeah. And I also want to say with that, that if whether you are new to business or not, you might have some aversion to the word launching or the word launch or the concept of launching and maybe you've heard or seen things that basically suggest it has to be super stressful hustle Mm. period of time and you feel like launches don't work for you or won't work for you and you're really kind of you know you're you hear us talking today or you hear us talk about out to launch or the free series and you're like well that would be nice except i don't want to launch i just want to put myself out there What I have to say to you is it's the same thing. (laughs) Now it's going to depend on who you, you know, what kind of guidance you get and who you follow and what coaches you follow, because I'm sure there are coaches out there that teach launching in a way that make it a really stressful hustle based approach. But the way Brie and I approach this is really, it's just a vehicle to put yourself out there and put your offer out there in a way that is super easy that attracts your ideal client in and makes the sales and the actual pitching part of it really seamless because you are doing the work ahead of time to, like we said, warm up your audience, create relationships with your audience, and do these things that make the actual sales or launch process so much easier. The launch itself, yes, we teach a a more, like we teach a structured launch as opposed to just a, hey, here's a strategy to just put yourself out there because it can be really stressful to just be constantly putting yourself out there. And especially when you're initially getting started, a launch is something that can launch you. Like it can boost you out there. It can make you really put the time and effort in to sit down, sell your program, attract in your clients, like do what you need to do to create that establishment. And also to not have to be feeling like you're constantly having to pitch or show up or promote to fill spots and to make ends meet. Yeah. For those of you who are musicians, I always liken it to the release strategy because that's something that I teach in that you're not, you know, you're not going to be talking every single week about your new single that came out. You know, you're going to be doing a push. You're going to be teasing people. You're going to be getting people excited. You're maybe even going to do a release party, all that stuff. And then your release happens and that's all a launch is. It's not, it doesn't have to be like Katie said that, that like, hustle thing that you might've seen online and people talking about like launch burnout and all that. We don't need to have that. It's just creating some buzz and fanfare and really putting intention behind everything that you do leading up to it. That's what we love to talk about. Yep. Completely. So yeah, if if you're listening to this or you've heard anything from us or you're just feeling like, I don't want to launch. I just want to like get out there. It's the same thing, but you have the option to do it in a quite frankly, half-assed way that doesn't really work. Or you have the option to do it in a way that ultimately is going to save you time, energy, and money because you, you really do it right. And when I say do it right, I'm going to add another caveat. And, and that's not that you have to follow 
exactly what we say word for word because again, what we teach is doing it right for you and for your audience. And essentially it's just putting in the time and effort and feeling like you've done everything you can in a way that's completely aligned and works for you and your program to get out there. Yeah, it's not cookie cutter at all because we have people in our program right now that are doing every kind of different thing, you know, different niches, different, uh, you know, group coaching, one-on-one course, you know, all the different things. And so it is somewhat tailored to you, the way you like to work and all that, but it's also, there is a a strategy behind it. Yeah. So yeah, I really think it's the difference between half-assed or intentional, we can call it, where you're putting in the proper time and intention required to to make sure that you get the results that you deserve in your online business. So that was today's episode. (laughs) Hopefully by now you feel pretty confident about what it would look like to pivot from in-person to online and, uh, and or just start your online business as a teacher or coach. If you guys have any questions, feel free to message me or Brie on Instagram at Katie Zaccardi or at Profitable Musician. But we highly encourage you to check out the video series as well. Again, that video series is how to launch your new program without being salesy. And you can grab that at katiezaccardi.com slash video series. And that's where we really take it to the next level, talking about uh, calling in your, your ideal audience, creating that community and relationships with them, creating content that connects, and then being able to convert your audience in the sales process. Bree, is there anything else you need to add before we wrap up today? Oh, I think we were pretty uh, verbose today. So I don't I think, think I have so. anything else to add. <laughs> I think so. All right, guys. So let us know how you like this episode and we will talk to you next week. Bye, guys. Thank you so much for listening to the Out to Be podcast. If you like this episode, be sure to share it with a friend. And if you haven't already, rate and review it on Apple iTunes or wherever you listen to podcasts. That really helps us spread the message and get this podcast out to even more women in music. For more information on coaching services, head to katiezaccardi.com. See you next week.